Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. One time, one of his students, Hassan Chalapi, goes to him and says, Master, what about saying something new so we can write it down for the future, if you don't want to converse with us? And Rumi says, I've been thinking about it. And he picks up his turban, and inside his turban, there is a piece of paper that he's written about 12 verses and he's kept it in his turban. So obviously that's his notebook. It takes patience to have blood turn into milk. That concept of blood turning into milk needs patience. It needs the same emotion as a mother goes through as she becomes pregnant until gives birth. That period of turning blood into milk is the period that I think we all need in our life. When we utilize that properly, we'll be able to make quantum leaps that the spiritual world requires, which is different from the physical world that is just continuous movement. We need to have that period of digesting something and developing it into something else. I think that idea is something that we might be missing, and that's why we don't come up with new ideas all the time. Because we don't let the new idea develop into milk so we could serve it. We just stay with it at a certain point. And I think that is a major reason why we become consumers of other people's turning the blood into milk. I was writing about this exact thing this morning. I'll just read it. Pretty interesting similarities. There will be moments and days and sometimes years where it will feel like you have lost your way completely. So it has been for me. But as uncomfortable as they can be, the dark spaces are wombs, vital to developing the deeper aspects of our humanity. Everyone we call great became that way because they overcame the urge to hide from the darkness, to deny it, or to run away, and moved toward it instead. Only while lost will you ever arrive somewhere no one else has ever been. And this idea of the fear that we have of being lost, the discomfort that we have of the darkness, which represents the unknown spaces, it's fascinating to remember we all come from darkness. The mother's womb is a darkness. We come from that, and we're not just there for a minute. We're there for almost a year. And then there's this opening into the light experience. But I completely agree in our culture, in our mindset. I think it's largely shaped by a lot of this fear that we have of those dark spaces. We just want to go from the light to the light to the light to the light. And as you just said, the only way to do that is to keep 
borrowing other people's light. There's a moment for that, there's a time for that, but that's called baby time. It's the baby that's constantly dependent upon the milk from everybody else. And a part of the maturation growing up of a human is no longer being completely dependent on what everybody else has made. I've been looking a lot at that process in my own life. At this point, having been through so many dark spaces and doing the best that I could to turn towards them and inside of them and staying in there and gestating inside of them, I've seen the fruits of that. And having seen the fruits of that, the next time the dark space comes, it might not be your favorite moment, but there's a piece of you that goes, okay, I'm entering the womb. I'm entering the time of growth. The inner child is the creative one. The inner child is God. For some of us, the impact of it is stronger in a negative way than being able to utilize our inner child into a positive direction. There are several issues that prevents the inner child to come out. Number one is the fear, as you said. The fear is a major thing. The fear of getting embarrassed. The fear of getting injured. The fear of uh, being in front of other people, talk to them. The fear of losing something. So that becomes one major thing that prevents that inner child to step out. Then there is another one which is as important, and that is the ego. I'm perfect. I don't need to move forward to anything. I'm good as I am. I'm the greatest. I cannot be any better than that. So that inner child is freezing inside this whole negative energy that forces it through the ego to stay there. When you think about these elements, one is want to keep it there and one is afraid to take it out. We know that the inner child is the driver that can take us to utopia. These are what causes it not to happen. I think when anybody brings up a term like ego that's thrown around as much as it is, I always really like to break down a little bit what exactly we're talking about. Because the mind is such a tricky thing to speak about at all, because we can't see it. And as humans, we seem to not have a lot of very articulate language about the things that we can't see. We're a very visual species. So I think it's really interesting coming at the inner child from this angle where you're talking about the child has the godlike abilities of creation, which is illustrated by children, so creative, without even trying to, which interestingly is a really important piece. The not trying is vital to actual creativity, right. which is a whole other subject we could go into. But for this right now, I think it is interesting to see that child as the godhood, at least in potential. But then on the flip side of it, also the tyrant you have that benevolent ruler, the powerful one, and then you have the tyrant. And what's the main difference between the benevolent ruler and a tyrant or a dictator? There's a feeling of openness and expansiveness and encouragement and flourishing when we think of the benevolent ruler. And then there's the opposite feeling of an oppression and of a holding in and of a, a stuckness with a tyrant that is often very myopic very focused in, you know, on one particular idea to the exclusion of all else. Often there's fear involved with that kind of way of leading. And you do kind of see both of those two things beautifully illustrated by children. When children are happy, the world smiles, you know, and then when children are angry or upset, 
the world knows it. There's a, there's a constant expression from that inside. And some of these things that happened to us a long time ago can make that fearful ruler, the tyrant, come into a prominence and just get stuck in that, which absolutely prevents true creative expression because the inner child is the one where true creative expression comes from. So if that inner child is in the pose and in the mode of the angry one, the hurt one, the scared one, it just makes so much sense. That exactly specifically is what needs to transfer so that the benevolence can come out, so that the fruitful expression can come out. To think of that as the exact same piece of us in two different modes, I think is really fascinating. And it also ties directly to why so many of the great artists were deeply connected and their work was deeply connected with incredible tragedy. It's the transmission of those two things, the alchemy between those two things. And I just, I've never heard it spoken about this way before. And I think it's so fascinating to really think of one piece in the center of us, either turning it into beauty or turning it into terror. And this is what life is all about, finding a balance between those two. The inner child is all about emotion, does not recognize anything physical. Mm. It's all emotion. That's powerful. And the mind doesn't recognize the emotion. Wow. Because mind only accepts what is acceptable through recognition. See, when you're dealing with emotion, you have to face emotion. You cannot close the door of emotion by logical mind. So the child does not come out through any kind of a rational invitation. The only way that the child comes out is through emotional invitation. That's when you see somebody crying, you begin to cry. Or somebody laughing, you begin to laugh for no reason. Same thing happens subconsciously with us. The energy expands. So if I put out a negative energy, I can develop my environment as a negative environment. So the child who is suffering is putting the emotion out. Mm -hmm. And that frees the child from imprisonment. That's why it even gets worse, as you said, as you get older, it just keeps on getting worse and worse because that negative energy keeps on coming out. The child wants to get out. Child does not want to be there. This becomes the work of emotion to help it. I really love this line of inquiry because I, as you know, study feelings and how the body creates feelings why we do when we do. And one of the things that I've found that really kind of surprised me is that the imagination has an incredible amount to do with the generation of feelings in the body, an incredible amount. When you are expecting a package, let's say, and the doorbell rings, you hear the doorbell and you get really excited and you run to the door and you're already excited to open this package and you open the door and it's somebody trying to sell you something. <laughs> you're just like, ugh go away, you know, you, you get deflated. But the fact that you can be inflated before you even see who's at the door is just one of a billion examples I could give about how the imagination is so directly related to the way that feelings are generated. If you're on a walk at night and you think that you see something 
in the corner, you know, like a, a coyote or a wolf or a bear or something coming towards you, feelings will get generated right away in the brain. So the imagination plays a really strong link to the emotions, which is, is why all art, all art is about emotion and the transferring of emotion and the expression of emotion. And obviously imagination is the most central piece of all art. Those things are not accidental. It's a, it's a direct link between those things. I've noticed how that emotion itself is a vibration. Emotion is a vibration. And it's, it's really interesting that even in that word, emotion, motion is most of that word. <laughs> There's a movement inside of motion. And, and what does the movement do? The movement shapes the objects of the universe around the thing that is emoting. Just as if a sound was being sent into waters and you would see the water ripple from the sound. It's all vibration and color and light, also vibrations. So as a painter, you're working with vibrations, you're working with motions, music, also vibration. It's the sound waves or it's the light waves, but they're all waves. Anything that you can do that has to do with art has to do with waves of some kind of emotional signature. And we think of art as I'm painting or I'm speaking or I'm writing, but really those are just external containers, external forms, almost like bodies for where the original motion is being generated, which is in the emotions inside of the person. The inner child is not the inner child at the beginning. It's the child. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. And the child is doing what a child does. I had my grandchildren in here last Sunday and uh, gave them the canvases, both of them, easels, canvases, paint and music, everything ready to go. And I said, okay, now you can start painting. The older one, who is seven years old, asked, what shall we paint? Give us a clue. And I said, well... Imagine that there is a fairy that has come in here and has sat on your head and is trying to tell you what to do. So just listen to the fairy in your mind and paint what the fairy tells you to do. Wow. Don't paint yourself. Just let the fairy guide you. Beautiful. They both started painting. <laughs> and the little one, <laughs> who is four and a half years old, <laughs> His paint was running down on the canvas. And I said, get this rag and wipe off paint that is running. And he says, no, the fairy is not telling me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these lessons are amazing. There was something happening that my rational mind was telling right. me that this should be removed. So I'm telling the child to remove that, and he says, no, not going to remove it. This is where that child is already out. We begin to imprison the child, as mm -hmm. we know, through parents, friends, education, teachers, mm -hmm. economy, whatever it is. Every time we have a new lock or a new wall put around that child. But the child wants to be free, no question about it. Child is constantly looking for freedom. Children don't recognize limitations. So the child is expanding. And the way we can expand, if we cannot physically expand, we could spiritually 
expand. That's when imagination comes into the picture. Because now we can begin to expand with our fantasy, with our mind. That's why we become creative. This fantasy becomes more exciting if I share it with somebody. So I want others to listen to my music too. I want others to see the painting as well. So that sharing is allowing that child to expand out. That's why even when we are not creating, but we're discussing with somebody, it's a sharing that allows the child to come out. That's when you can recognize the character of a person through the sharing. Just don't listen to what is the content of sharing. Just recognize that that sharing is that inner child that is trying to expand that. The inner child wants to expand that. And more we imprison that inner child, the child becomes obsessed. And that obsession turns into thou shall not do this and commanding everybody mm -hmm. constantly what to do. I'm looking into Blake right now at your strong, enthusiastic recommendation. And I'd heard some quotes from him. I thought they were beautiful, but I'd never really looked beyond that. And he's really kind of blowing me away right now. One of the things that he talked about that I thought was so fascinating in regards to this is he basically believed that war was an expression of pent-up sexual energy. All of this deep sexual energy that was inside of people not having a safe healthy outlet. There's this ability that a human has to pull from their very blood another human, by far the most creative act anyone on earth is capable of. <laughs> Picasso didn't come close to that. And we all have it inherently without thought, hardly without trying also, interestingly. But this pent-upness reminds me of what you really beautifully said, which is that I'll never forget it, that it wasn't always an inner child. Initially, it was just a child. Like, that's such a powerful point. And, and we do build this box around it. We do build this container around it. And we tend to speak of that container negatively, but I think it's also fair and important to, to pipe in that there's a reason why we build the container, and that is so that society can exist. Society, as we know and understand it, could not exist without some kind of form. It would be like drawing up a bunch of water in your hands and then it immediately just falls out. One of the greatest powers that humans have is this ability to share ideas and to both take a certain form based on those shared ideas. There are these children's shows from my childhood that were very, very popular. One of them is called Voltron and another were the Transformers and another was Captain Planet. But they all had the same thing in general, which was that five people or more join their powers and become this super being that is capable of defeating the bad guy that none of them could have done individually. And <laughs> the plot of every show is almost exactly the same, which is they all try individually. One of them's pissed off at the others because they had their feelings hurt. <laughs> so they go over there and they can't join into the giant robot. The bad guy almost wins. And then just at the last minute, whoever it is gets over themselves and comes back and then with our powers combined, we are whoever that, that we need to be. But I think it's important just to remember that ability we have to combine with other people 
is really powerful. It's really beautiful as long as the combination we have chosen is relevant to the situation. It's that inner child within that is the creator of all things. And once we get into these certain forms, we often get stuck and we get lost in that form. In a certain way, the story that comes up to illustrate that for me is the story of Narcissus. This boy looking at his own reflection, and then he gets fascinated with his own reflection, which means he can't see anything else. And there's a whole huge world around him. There's deers running by, there's friends playing, there's all of this other potential that he's just not seeing because he's locked on that one particular aspect. You see, the inner child is anxious to get out. So the blood is exploding outward. The blood wants to move out. It begins to face restrictions, limitations. Facing the limitations determines what happens to the blood. When blood is moving in the proper channels, it turns into milk. So this transformation is really what happens in our life. The inner child needs to be in a good environment in order to come out and play. Put the inner child in a park and would enjoy to play. But put the inner child under all kinds of restrictions and it won't work. Many of us enjoy doing it that way because they don't want the inner child to come out. They don't want to reveal themselves. So they get the mask in front of their face. And the same thing happens in the whole body. The mask is not just the face. The whole thing is there. Stops the blood from moving. And what happens when blood stops moving? What happens when water stops flowing? It begins to stink. It begins to change color. It begins to have terrible aroma. When we force that negative thing on other people is where the problem is. Sometimes we allow the inner child to come out, but it's interesting that he's dealing with negative things that happens along the way, like losing the parents, like getting all kinds of things that happens. And that begins to build up into the blood. So when the milk comes out, it's gone through negative channels to get there. This idea of the blood turning into the mill is so beautiful. It, it's really profound. This isn't just a metaphor. It's like the, the literal cells of her own body will end up generating actual milk, which is astounding that such a thing is possible. But something has to be happening in the body to send that signal. And that is, of course, that she has to be pregnant. And she has to have had this influx of code information, the seed. And that seed has to have been accepted and merged in just a particular way. It's the union of those two things, the seed with container for it, that sends the signal to the body to start going through this transformation. And it's not immediate. And this patience that you were talking about earlier, it is hard for us. And I think a lot of time it's easier to get this quick emotional release of holding somebody else's baby or making a comment about somebody else's program that they've got going on instead of doing this whole thing that it's going to cost you. Your body is going to change going through this. You're going to hurt sometimes. You're going to have trouble sleeping sometimes. You know, you're going to be angry at this thing and you're not even going to want it sometimes. It's true for most women that go through those pregnant cycles. And it's, it's certainly 
true of going through the, the true full artistic experience, there's a lot that's not under your control. And I think that is, again, one of the reasons why so many people default so simply to the war, because the war is a very simple decision. Which side are you on? Everything else has already been decided for you. All the views have been decided. There's really not that much creative energy that goes into a war. It's just, are you picking this side or this side? So there's an ease in that, and we get a certain kind of a adrenaline going through us. And you see how pumped up people get about the most ridiculous things. Again, that's that form of, of narcissists so obsessed with this reflection coming back at us that we don't even notice it's not even real. It's just a bunch of light bouncing off of water. And you compare that with really going through the process of making this baby yourself. And oh, it's so costly. It's so scary. You could lose it. What if when it comes out, you don't know what to do with it? What if you're not going to be a good parent? There's all of these deep questions, these responsibilities that a person doesn't even have to think about if you're just holding somebody else's baby. You're bringing up a beautiful discussion in here which is dealing with becoming pregnant in order to be able to get blood turned into milk. Yep. We're not talking about the physical impregnation. Right. We're talking about spiritual impregnation, which deals with develop emotion inside you in order for the blood to turn into milk. Mm -hmm. And you have to use your imagination, visualization, when we don't do that and we leave it to the artists or others to feed us what would bring our blood to milk, this is where the whole thing goes wrong because yeah. it goes through different channels. Yeah. The concept of being pregnant with an idea is what we need in order to pursue turning blood into milk pursue turning what is giving us life into something that gives life to others. One of the most powerful pieces about that that I think was not easy for me to see earlier in my journey looking at some of these great artists, it's not the pieces of work that they made that were the most important piece. That's the most obvious piece of their work and that's the thing we think about when we think about their work. Let's say somebody creates an incredible painting. The painting can be burned. The painting can be destroyed. The most valuable thing that comes in that whole process is the way that the artist changes by making it. And that's the thing that gets stolen from us when we're just consuming other people's final creations is you can see an amazing painting, but it doesn't mean that you went on the journey of becoming the person who could have painted that. And, and that's the vital piece. That's the piece that's really getting down to what life actually is, is, is that journeying process. And you have a lot of people who are just in spectator mode. We spend a lot of our lives in consumption mode, in spectator mode, and there's benefits to that to some degree, but I don't believe the healthiest version of that is to spend 95, 99% of your life like that, where most people are. What about your ability as a human to go somewhere no one else has ever been? That has to be the highest calling in some way of all of our spirits is to be able to say something, contribute something, see something, hold someone in a way that no one ever has before. That piece of the individual contribution seems so connected to each of our individual worths. And I think that process is taken from us a lot because we get so used to being these little dependent creatures. 
you mentioned Blake, one of his concepts is this idea of specter. Specter is what Blake considers what stops the muse. Muse is the child. It's the inner child. Muse is the one who wants to play. Muse is what musicians <laughs> appreciate <laughs> because it deals with playing. So specter is the one who prevents it from coming out. Is what society makes us to be. The reason that I become a consumer of other people's milk is because the specter is the one who prevents me to develop the potential for making my own blood into milk. What's the purpose of milk? The purpose of milk is to spur new life. What is art? Why are we doing this in the first place? It has the essential ingredients for life. However, those essential ingredients must be consumed. They must be taken in. You just put a bunch of milk on the ground and it's not really going to do anything. But you, you take that milk and you bring it into the body, you bring it in metaphorically into the mind, and you've got there the essential ingredients for something. You've got to start there. But that's where the responsibility of the person starts to become more and more important as a person moves from baby land into young child and then older and older and older. We start having to recognize, okay, I'm getting this milk from this talk. I'm getting it from this song. I'm getting it from this book that I'm reading. What am I going to do about it? How does this change me? What's, what's moving inside? Can I allow myself to become impregnated with the energy that's inherent in this thing? Can I feel that something's happening? And instead, I think there's almost this gorging syndrome. People just get the milk here, then go to the next, get the milk there, get the milk there. It all just leaves them as waste. And there has to be this burying open of the outer shell that we build, this breaking open of the societal structure to really allow ourselves to be moved, to be impregnated. Because like you were saying, the specter blocks that. It's almost like you're pouring the milk on somebody's clothes, bouncing off. It's not actually penetrating into the deepest place that it really needs to. It reminds me of that Alan Alda quote that I love, which is, listening means being willing to let the other person change you. That quote is just so profound to me because if you're really listening to the painting of the great master, you will be changed. You will become impregnated with that energy. That is why we need to recognize arts through our emotion rather than through our rational thinking because it's the child wow. that has brought it there and the child does not understand yes. rational thinking. Anything rationally in art, a barrier in front of the child. Judgment of an art is a wrong thing to do. Does it work with my emotion or not is the matter. As an artist, our mission is to make that milk so good that could feed many, many people all around us. There are artists who put all the emphasis into just one child and make that. And we've known the artists who've done a masterpiece and that's it. After that, nothing. But there are those who can spread it around so beautifully. 
Elton John, three generations still, the same emotion, the same love, the same real reflection is there. That's an artist. Blake, going back to him for a minute, he says, if a fool and a wise person are both looking at the same tree, they will actually see a different tree. Somebody who is not in a mature enough state yet to access their own creative power will look at a painting and say, oh, that's a nice painting. And then somebody who is capable of recognizing the resonant life energy vibration that's inside of one of the great works, they will literally have such a different experience with that particular work to make it seem as if they were two complete different works. For me, that's part of what's exciting about the idea of being an artist is that you get to decide. You're the one who's self-responsible. Again, going back to Blake, he said, to see the entire universe within a grain of sand. Like, that's that power of the seeing that really transforms everything around you. Also, one of my favorites, Bjork. She has this gorgeous song that really helped me during a hard moment of my life because I had lost this person that I, that I had, and I was mourning it. It was, it was bleeding out, and she clearly had gone through the same thing. But being a powerful artist, she came to this realization. She says, all is full of love. Everywhere you look, just turn your head around. You're just not tuned into the right station. All is full of love. And to me, that's that same recognition of Blake saying, the universe is in the grain of sand. This isn't just a tree. It's the mother's milk. It's life unfolding in every single direction all around us at all times. We do use grandiose people many times to make examples of Blake and Picasso and all of these wonderful characters. How does a person apply this practically in their life? The evidence of the mother's milk being produced in your own life is that the things that you make the things that you say, how you're showing up in the world will have a resonance inside of it that other people will respond to even when they don't know you, even when they don't have a reason to care about you. That's one of the evidences. However, it's not the only one because sometimes people are inside of situations where people are not attuned to the same kind of frequencies and focuses that they are. They speak different languages. And because of that, even though there is beautiful milk being given, people around might not respond. But because that is the primary way, I think, that we look for that, we often get in these kind of circles and tangles of, of wanting the approval of other people to give us that validation that what we're giving is good. Going back to Blake, he was angry. He was upset that the people of his time could not understand the beauty of the work that he was putting out. He was not accepted by his peers. Right. But he said something that I really, really loved, which is, I have an audience of eternal angels who is crazy about my work. They're singing glorious songs that this work is even being created. In the absence of the people around us being able to see or feel, he had that fairy sitting on top of his head, as you described. And the fairy was telling him, wow, Blake, you're doing an amazing job right now. But the similarity between both things will be movement you will feel movement. There will be a resonance. There will be a vibration inside of you that's uncontainable. And to me, that's what joy is. Joy is the name that we have for that particular vibration. Blood represents life. 
And milk represents feeding other lives. Wow. Making Beautiful. other lives. So this is really the whole story about creativity in our life. It's either that in my life I want to mm. spread milk around, or is it that in my life I want to just suck the blood for myself and nothing else? Many of us make the milk, but we don't put it out. We just keep it to ourselves because we're afraid of the reaction from other people. But the whole idea of living is to give milk. That is why we're here. Yeah. We're not here just to suck the blood. Mm-hmm. We're here to give milk. Giving milk for some is a little bit, for some a lot. We have people like Picasso or John Lennon or those that can spread the milk for millions. And there are people who can have milk just for their family, relatives. But still, it's something that we share. If we cannot share with the world, why not just share with our close friends and relatives? Let that milk flow. Let that milk come out. So there would be more blood turning into milk. There are a lot of times that I paint or write and I threw them away. <laughs> and that is a part of giving milk. It's not that always you're ready to give milk. There are a lot of times that the milk comes, but it's bitter or it's got problems with it. So we have to accept ideology that an artist has to use in their works in order for public to benefit from it. As you said, public see things through their own mind. How you can deliver to them is your responsibility. You cannot change the public. If person who looks at my painting is going to judge it, it's my responsibility to prevent them from judging it. How do I prevent them from judging it? By putting them into a dream at the beginning before they even get to judge the painting. So the moment your work puts the mind of your audience into dreaming, they don't judge you. If you start a performance with an emotion that puts the mind into dreaming, nobody's going to say whether you're good or bad or tall or short. So as an artist, our job is to reflect our emotion without being concerned about where it goes. Purer my emotion is expressed on my canvas, the more people can relate to it. The more ideas of my personal mind comes into the canvas, I'm zeroing into certain audience that I have to satisfy, such as painting somebody's child and giving to them so the child is going to be pretty so they would feel good. On a human level, there's that saying that exists in the theatrical world of uh, one more time with feeling, do the scene again, but do it with feeling this time. Maybe that can be a really clear vindication whether somebody is in that milk-producing moment, which is basically just the emotions of who you are, of your deeper sense, the deepest sense of you, the emotion of the creative energy from your very core coming through the things that you do because the things that you do are so in alignment with that true pulse inside. That's what moves other people. That's why some paintings move us and some don't. Some songs have it in them and some don't. It's the resonance that's inside of that that we can still feel, the 
the energy vibrations of the form of the art matched and were in sync with the energy vibrations coming out of the person. And I think that is an indicator in any given moment for somebody's life if they're operating from the specter mode or if they're operating from that muse mode. You'll feel it if you're coming from the muse. You will feel it. Even if no one else can right now, you will. The more in tune with that you are, eventually people will feel it. Even if it's 100 years later, like what happened to Blake. He decided to stay true to that feeling rather than abandoning his deepest nature for the sake of being accepted by the specter. Imagine that you're giving a toy to a four-year-old girl. And you're explaining to that girl that this toy is very special because it has the colors that means this, it has the value that means this. And the, the thing that you usually do for grown-up in order for them to buy something, all of these you tell to a child that these are the physical aspect of it. The child is going to walk away. I don't care how much <laughs> they love this toy, they're going to walk away. But let the toy do its own thing, and they're going to jump on it. And this is the same thing with people. The inner child is the one who jumps on what you're presenting. There's no reason to explain that my perfume smells so good and it's been from that certain plant and all of that stuff. The perfume has got to have a good aroma. And if that has it, then it works. The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Windham. Our theme music is by Niklas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community. 